2 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 20. This is God's holy and infallible word. We're picking up from where we left off last week. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to his will. It's God's word for us this morning. So our topic for this fall in the morning messages is the church. The theme is building the church. And, and we're calling the church the household of faith because that is one of the many common descriptions of the church in God's Word. There's a very, the church is a family. God is our Father through adoption, through our adoption, and we're brothers and sisters in Him. Faith Church is a spiritual family to all of you. Uh, so many people have mentioned to us as pastors or, or maybe to the elders in, in joining the church over the years that this is a real reason they have come to this church. The sense of, of spiritual family here. We include one another. We care for one another. Uh, we love one another. And we grow together in Jesus. As we're getting near the middle of this little book of Second Timothy now, this picture of the church is emphasized. Our last verse last week was verse 19, and it talked about God's solid foundation there. And then Paul, who wrote the book of 2 Timothy, refers in verse 20 that we read to a large house. Talks about gold and silver articles and wood and clay ones, some intended for noble purposes, some not. The church is the large house. It's not a small house. It's a grand house. And, and you know, Jesus talks about heaven as his Father's house, a mansion with many rooms. Well, the church, not yet in glory, not yet in heaven, is called the same thing. Uh, the picture in, in these verses, today in particular, in the, the noble vessels, it makes me think of Downton Abbey. H have you ever heard of that? It was a very popular British TV show. It, it was on PBS for a number of years. It just concluded, I think, a year ago. Uh, the show was about one of the last old-school wealthy families in, in early 1900s in England, like around before World War I and after. And, and here, here it is, actually. That's, down, that's Downton Abbey from the show. A huge mansion. 
beautiful things inside, many servants, nobles. Uh, Because of the family's heritage, their wealth, their standing in the community, they have this sense of responsibility and, and purpose in their broader community. Well, God calls his church a large house. And God has created us for noble purposes, says our text, in his church, certainly, and in our world. And God invites us this morning to be a member of his glorious household. He invites us to be noblemen and noble women to live with the sense of purpose based on that invitation. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. First of all, we're invited to accept the master's invitation today. We're invited to accept the master's invitation. We read there are different types of articles in the large house, some gold and silver for noble purposes, other cheaper wood and and clay, ignoble purposes. So the picture is like vases and and dishes and pots, all the stuff around a house. And if you think of that, that Downton Abbey house that we saw, even if you didn't see the show, you can imagine there's a lot of stuff in it for a lot of uses. The honorable things, gold and silver, well, they'd be used for, say, dishes because food is presented in public, sometimes for guests or you think of flowers or plants on display in the library or or works of art in the foyer where people are received when they come in. The wood and clay things are the lesser vessels. Maybe some of the stuff uh, in that lower level of that house, that's where the servants hung out and it was darker down there. And late at night or early in the morning, while it was still dark, they, they would haul out the trash They'd have to empty the chamber pots in the bedrooms. And those vessels, those were the not-so-noble items. What's the point of the noble and, as Paul says, ignoble items? What are these articles really? Well, they're people. They are the people in the church. And, And some people say this is talking about teachers, true and false, specifically, but it's certainly people. The word for articles is the same as vessels or instruments, and uh, those are used to talk about the human body in the New Testament. Jesus in Acts 9 verse 15 talks about the newly converted Paul, who was Saul, as his instrument. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 talks about himself and his fellow workers as earthen vessels which contain a treasure. And that treasure is the gospel that we're called to share. The immediate point in 2 Timothy is that Paul has been warning Timothy about false teachers among God's people. These dishonorable vessels had creeped in. They were leading people astray. We saw the name of two of them last week in verse 17. These two types of vessels remind us of another picture that Jesus gives us of people uh, in Matthew 13. The parable of the wheat and tares is about how the farm workers discover 
there are tares mixed in with the wheat crop that's growing. A tear is a type of weed that looks very much like wheat when it's very young. So these tares seemed innocent, but as they grew, it became clear what they were. Not wheat. Useless. Harmful, potentially, to the good crop even. And the servants ask the owner, what should we do? The owner in the parable is God. And he gives an interesting response. Leave them grow together until the harvest. And what that means is that until Jesus returns, God allows the wheat and the tares to coexist. And surprise, even within the church, this is true. The tares can be those who identify with God's people. Maybe their names are on the membership list. Among those you'd hope, all everyone would be wheat. Everyone in the church would be going about noble purposes, right? But that's not the case. Some are not. In the church, even in the church, are those who really in their heart aren't children of God. They're false teachers that get in and lead people astray when you think of the church. Troublemakers who try to mess things up. Wood and clay vessels. Paul brings this up as a matter of fact. It's reality. Obviously, we know God allows it out in the world, but also in the church. You know, how many times haven't you heard uh, you know, people say they avoid the church because there are hypocrites there? Well, of course there are, Paul would say. That's how it's always been. This is how it is. Our text doesn't dwell there, though, but leads us to the invitation in verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, if you pull yourself out from the ignoble vessels, you'll be an instrument for noble purposes. So God is very gracious and loving. No matter who you are, and you think of people out in the world who don't even have any identification with the church, even some in the church who haven't given their heart truly to the Lord, no matter who you are. The Master invites you to be cleansed. And cleansing makes sense because those not honorable vessels have trash and waste in them. And the Bible says sin defiles us. We need to be purified from it. And the way to do it is to go to Jesus. It's to accept His finished work. Christians, we talk about being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, which sounds really odd if you've never heard that before. How can you be cleansed by blood? But it's figurative language referring to the fact that Jesus on the cross, he bled and died for our sins. That is his saving work. So when Paul says, cleanse yourself, he's not saying, save yourself. We can't do that any more than a trash can uh, could go on its own and empty itself. Cleanse yourself, that Paul says, is an invitation. That means go to Jesus, accept his sacrifice, let his blood, as it were, pour over you and wash you clean. Be cleansed by Jesus. 
This morning, you may be a hypocrite. This morning, you may be in the church out of tradition, and maybe you have been for many years, and your heart isn't in it. This morning, you may feel dirty, and you may be dirty because of your great sins. You may be lost. You may be doubting and confused right now in your life. You may be way off track in your life. You may be temporary, temporarily derailed. You may be in the valley. You may be grumpy and negative in your heart. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God's offer is sincere. It's real. He's reaching out to you and to me, no matter who we are. You can be nobility even though you don't deserve it. You can be made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. It can all change for you. Join the royal family. Enter the grand abbey. The doors are open, yes, even for you and for me. Cleanse yourself. Go to Jesus. Accept the invitation. God says to all of us this morning, Receive my grace. Second this morning, part of the invitation is change your clothes. When we enter the house, we take off our filthy rags and beggar's clothes. We put on fine garments. And this is verse 22. The noble instrument has a twofold action going on. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, love, and peace, and faith along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. So flee some things, pursue others. That, those two actions come up in Scripture a lot. The Bible often gets at this with the language of changing our clothes. Zechariah 3, uh, we looked at that book about this time last year. The angel says to the high priest in Zechariah 3, take off his filthy rags, I will put rich garments on you. Paul uses this language too when he calls us to live for the Lord. Romans 13 and 14, put aside the deeds of darkness, Rather, clothe yourselves with Christ. Galatians 3.27, those baptized in Christ, you've clothed yourself with Christ. And Colossians 3.12, clothe yourselves with compassion and with kindness and so on. So God's nobility wear clothes that are appropriate for who they are and who they're called to be. One of the characters in Downton Abbey is Tom. He was one of the servants of the family in that great house. He was the car mechanic, which in that day and age was considered a very lowly job. In fact, most anybody that worked at all, I mean, they considered even doctors and nurses and business people to be beneath them uh, compared to this family who didn't really have to work. They lived off the inherited land and wealth. Well, as a mechanic, of course, Tom was always kind of dirty, crawling around underneath the vehicles, hands full of grease or oil. Well, over time, the youngest daughter of the family, Sybil, fell in love with this mechanic, Tom. 
It was difficult for the family to accept, but eventually they did. And now Tom was part of the family, and and part of that change was a transformation in his clothes. He couldn't walk around in those mechanics clothes in the abbey. That wouldn't be right. So he put on a suit, and he had a tie, and he was worthy of the noble family, always clean. He was outside the house and invited in to be part of the family, and he began to walk around in those nice clothes just uh, like the nobleman that he had become, just like the rest of the family. As believers in our lives, we continually take off some things and we put others on. We flee certain types of activity and mindsets and thinking and we pursue others. We're called here to flee the evil desires of youth. And that's mentioned because Timothy, who uh, Paul's writing to, was young. It's not necessarily talking about lust in particular, though the Bible does talk about that, and that, of course, is something to flee. Back you know, in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, we have that, that story of, of Joseph fleeing the temptation of Potiphar's wife, and that's exactly the best thing uh, you can do as a young man or, or young woman or people of any age, for that matter, when faced with sexual temptation of any kind. Don't entertain it. Joseph is a great example for us. Run away. Flee. But Paul is probably talking more about other general tendencies that people have before they mature. Maybe being impulsive, rash, not thinking about the consequences to your actions, trying this new thing, trying that. And for Timothy, who was a young pastor, those sorts of things would be particularly damaging and disruptive to a church. Instead, pursue, go after these other things. Clothe yourself with attire that's appropriate for a noble vessel in Christ. Righteousness, faith, love, peace. And those really get at our calling before God, that vertical dimension of life, how we're called to live before our God, and also that horizontal dimension of life, how we're called to live before others, how to live well and right and dignified before God and those around us. Are you putting these things on, friends? Are you wearing the clothes of righteousness, faith, and love, and peace in your life? Are you wearing them in the church? Noble men, noble women do. That's how we look in the family of God. You know, you think last night Montero's Grand Slam was a fluke? You think the Cubs are having a record-breaking year and killing it in the postseason out of luck? No. They've been working hard this whole past year. Offense, defense. I I heard on on sports radio a little bit the details of, of the practices, and it's just beyond what you'd imagine. The detail 
that that coaching staff has put in to teaching offense, defense, in both of those categories, getting rid of the bad habits, more and more taking on and learning the good habits. That's how we become successful Christians too. Getting rid of the bad habits, put on the good ones, and we do this together. Paul says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, really directly talking about the church. We encourage each other in this, so we help one another. I've got a tendency, uh, maybe you do too, to hold on to some old, kind of ratty clothes items um, for sentimental reasons, really. I, I, try, I wear, try to wear them sometimes too. Sarah will, will gently and kindly, every once in a while, address this matter. She doesn't get on my case too often about it. And it's sort of the question, is that who you are? Is that who you want to be as a 40-something-year-old pastor and father? I'm like, well, but the clothes isn't that old. Well, yeah, it's about 20 years old now. There are actual holes in it. The end of the sleeve, the collar, they're fraying. And, and so every once in a while, probably should do it more than I do, every once in a while I give up my ratty old clothes. And I know she's right. We all have some sins like that. We like them. We want to hold on to them for just a while longer. God says, flee them. And we want to snuggle up to those sins. Just like in marriage, in the family of God, we've got to have people that will gently encourage us to let go of the old clothes, who will speak the truth. And we've got to think about that as we, we, we talk with one another. We, we're, we get to know each other in our lives, it, just on Sundays, but in our small groups and Bible studies, talking about God's Word. You know, and, and this is one of the advantages of membership in the church versus just attending, of actually being members. When we join the church, we agree in our vows to a mutual responsibility and spiritual growth. We vow to help each other. In the Bible, we do that because the Bible says it's important. It's important to have in our lives. <clears throat> We've all had that responsibility together. Uh, we promised it just today again uh, for little William to disciple him in the faith. Our elders in a special way do this as we think of our district care. But all of us, we do it together uh, to say when it needs to happen, hey, those words that you just spoke, that I heard you speak, that attitude, it's not becoming, it's not appropriate, it's not who you are, it's not who you want to be, it's not who we are as nobility in Jesus. And there's the other side too, of course, of encouraging one another to be more Christ-like. Accept the invitation Change your clothes. And finally this morning, fulfill your noble purposes. If we cleanse ourselves, says verse 21, we'll be an instrument for noble purposes. And then 
after that, we had that call in verse 22 to flee some things, pursue others. Verses 23 to 26 get at some of the details of our noble purposes. You could tell when we read it that this is especially instruction for Timothy as a pastor. And so these are words that that, uh, Pastor Matthew and I especially have to take to heart. But much of it is a calling for all of us in God's house, and it applies to all of us in a lot of ways. Don't be argumentative or quarrel. Be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. Don't be resentful. If you're opposed, gently instruct, hoping that if someone is captive to the devil, that God will turn them around and that they'll come to the truth. The reference to the Lord's servant captures the spirit and the idea of all of these purposes. In God's house, as in his kingdom, things are often not like in the world. And we can think a nobleman bosses people around. If you're nobility, you're really important. You're large and in charge. But no, in God's kingdom, the noble vessels, the nobility, they serve others. So whether we think about God's true purpose for the ruler of a nation, whether we think of a father in the home, a leader in the community at school or in business, the Christian's call is to be the servant of all. After all, the eternal King of Kings, Jesus, humbled himself to take on the form of a servant And we pattern our lives after him. This is your work, friends. This is your calling in God's house and everywhere to serve, to serve the Lord. This affects our actions. Not resentful is an interesting calling. I think it's one we need to hear. One Bible commentator writes about this, about the not resentful thing. He says this, There may be greater sins than touchiness, but there is none which does greater damage in the Christian church. I'm going to read it again. There may be greater sins than touchiness, but there is none which does greater damage in the Christian church. Touchiness. Ever ever come across that one in the church? Where someone is talked to or encouraged about something in their life or their work in the church, or their functioning in the church, and the person gets resentful, funny about it, and funny towards the other person. We can all be so touchy. We can all be so quick to take offense and slow to forgive. God calls us to bear evil without being resentful. And we're so touchy that we get resentful at people who mean well for us in our lives or trying to help us. No, don't be resentful. Don't be touchy in the church. We're bigger than that. We walk on a higher plane as nobility in Christ. To be kind to everyone, be patient and gentle, that's beautiful to see, and God blesses that in a church. The devil's brought up here at the end, And that reminds us that God's servant is vigilant. Building the household of God, living in it together, it's not always easy. We have an enemy, the devil, 
trying to ensnare us. He's trying to pull people in. Especially where God is at work, Satan will try to disrupt. And so, in the work of building the church here at Faith CRC, expect attacks. Be on guard in your personal life and as we work together in the church. Don't get ensnared. We pray and we work so that those in the church and outside the church in our community who are held captive by the devil would get free. And so will you accept the invitation this morning? Maybe you already have. Well, it's always good to recommit. I'm married. It's a done deal. Said the vows, got the certificate. I'd say I have the ring, but you know I lost it a few weeks ago. I'm working on that. It's done. But each day, I'm called to recommit to be Sarah's husband, to love her, and to embrace her as my wife. God calls you to nobility, to enter his great household of faith, called to recommit to that great calling every day, accept the invitation, be cleansed, change your clothes, flee evil, pursue good, and fulfill your noble purposes, being the servant of all. Follow the pattern of Jesus who became a servant to bring us into his glorious family so we could embrace that highest calling of all being part of God's family, being God's servants. Right here as we build up this church, as you are building your homes and lives everywhere. Amen.